please join us on this dynamic chapter of the Next Gen Movement as we dive into conversation with big wave surfer Mark Matthews around his craft, what it took for him to reach the highest of heights, and ultimately how he pivoted into a new space of the corporate and motivational speaking scene after he had a career-ending injury. Mark is super humble, originally hailing from the beaches of Marubra. He conquered his sport not only in national, but on an international level. This conversation is super engaging, and Mark has that laid-back style, but he's unbelievably articulate in terms of being able to decipher the mechanisms that helped him hone and deliver the best performances in his craft and then leverage those capabilities into different areas in his life. This is a chat that you do not want to miss. Take care. Speak to y'all soon. Much love. Welcome to Next Gen Movement, our sole mission to empower tomorrow's leaders by harnessing and unleashing collective wisdom, lessons and experiences of thought leaders within the community. Hey guys, it's Toe from the Next Gen Movement and I have my co-host RJ with me as we're about to go under the surface with our next guest. Well, when waves are formed to turn into the height of several houses stacked on each other, you'd be bound to have Mark Matthews riding through one. Mark (laughs) has been riding through some of the biggest waves out there, winning titles and defying the odds, including the comeback from a wipeout in 2016 that caused a plethora of injury and rehabilitation to get back into it when the doctor said he may not be able to surf again. We are very grateful to have Mark on as our next guest, so we can deep dive into more of his story and the lessons learned. Welcome, mate. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> My pleasure, man. Nah, absolutely love what you're about, man. Um, now, I just want to open into this, Mark, where I saw a Red Bull interview not too long ago, um, and you mentioned this quote. You actually said, surfing and riding big waves is the best vehicle to get into that space where I'm really focused and I'm in the moment. And it's got me curious, how do you practice this in other aspects of your life that may not be related to surfing? Yeah, I think from what I was talking about in that quote is just that it's kind of like that exciting, dangerous nature of surfing big waves yeah. is, is something that forces my attention into the present moment. And, and the, the feeling I get from that where, where all the other problems that my mind kind of creates just switch off and I'm just immersed in there. And I think that's a big part of the reason I'm so addicted to surfing and surfing bigger waves in general. Um, it's a tough thing to find. For me, I'm kind of overly neurotic. So my brain goes at a million miles an hour pointing out every single flaw that I have and every dangerous bad thing that's going to happen in the world. And that's just the way my mental chatter is. I find it hard and real hard to switch off um, any other time other than, than surfing big waves. I try and like recreate moments like day to day where it can switch off, but it's usually the same sort of formula. It's just, it's finding something that will grab my attention enough and is interesting enough that I get immersed in it and it's difficult enough to force you to immerse in it. And then you just get that, that it's that moment that people experience where you just like, kind of like, Oh, where did that last hour go? Or where did those last couple of hours go? Cause you're so focused. And, and to me, that's just like, when you find those moments, I, I'm like, I look back and like, 
how did that happen? Why did that happen? That's yeah. how I want to live my life, you know, like, and, and I think it's the best way for people to highlight what they truly love doing is when that time slips away. Super difficult that when it's like, if your career like doesn't provide that or the majority of your career doesn't provide that, which is normal for everyone. Like a lot of the stuff I do in my career doesn't provide that. And then it's kind of like, you got to painstakingly go through those things that are uh, a little too, maybe too boring or arduous, but you just got to force your way through it. It's kind of, and then if, if I, if I like trying to self motivate myself to do that, I'm just, I'm just trying to attach those arduous jobs in life to some other purpose or goal that I'm doing and, and give myself that reason, remind myself why I'm doing it and then force, force myself to, to be able to like, just do some forced things to block out distraction, which is, you know, like hide your phone, like <laughs> lose your phone purposely, switch off anything that can distract you. And then that helps you force into the moment too. Oh no, that's a pretty long winded answer, but <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah. a philosophical question to open up with. It, it makes a lot of sense in, in, um, and I'm sure you're, and I'm a big fan and, and uh, we were actually talking a bit about it with our last guest, uh, Jackie Cooper, who's an aerial skier about this concept of flow and uh and Stephen Kotler talks quite a lot about it and actually does has done quite a lot of research into your sport um there's a lot of um context around big big wave surfing and the rise of superman uh west of jesus a couple of books that he's written and he really talks about this concept of flow and as as we talked about with Jackie this whole concept of your narrowing focus right everything narrows and um and you go into this space where uh, this elevated, heightened sense of um, focus because of the environment creates that pressure. Uh, Stephen, through his research, and this is what I'm interested in, is well, how do you then replicate that in things that aren't as exciting? Um, and I think you made a very good point right now. When you do the mundane, you realize that the the training and the repetition and the stuff that you've done to get you to the height of your craft and surfing, that stuff's applicable to the mundane. And you can yeah. use that discipline and structure to get through the boring shit. Because, yeah, Toph and I have this conversation all the time. The extraordinary is actually in the ordinary, in yeah. doing the base. The result of the ordinary, right? Like, like yeah. a result the extraordinary th things or the things that look extraordinary are the result of just the, the just arduous ordinary doing things over and over again, repetition. And then you see performance that, that kind of looks to everyone else um, so foreign and it looks so courageous, mm. but, but the reality is it's just a skill set that's been built. And I think that's kind of what, that's what courage is really. It's like, you're just perceiving a, a skill set that someone's got that you don't have. Like I, I, I often see like phenomenal speakers that, that just, it's like, it just nothing about the speaking world, like uh, scares them or like, they're never really that anxious about it. And I'm like, man, how do they do that? Cause I'm highly introverted. So speaking for me is just terrifying, but, but then it's, it's just like the repetition that they've done and, and the, the skill set that they have and the stage craft and the, mm -hmm. all that experience just is what makes that seem to me like it's courageous. And, and I think vice versa, when they look at what I do in the ocean, it seems courageous, but 
that's like 30 plus years of, of chipping away at building mm. skills and, and immersing myself in that environment that you kind of don't get to see, I guess. Can it's I, like, can I just quickly ask you your opinion on this? Uh, I like your feedback on this statement. Yeah. Uh, apparently it was a statement made by someone within the special forces in the, uh, in the Navy SEALs. I just want your feedback on this. Under pressure, you don't rise to the occasion. You sink to the level of your training. It's so spot on. It's so spot on. I mean, like you could do the com. It's kind of, yeah, I think he's nailed it. You can't, like, I guess there's an element of rising to the occasion. I think it, I wouldn't be as black and white as, mm -hmm. as that statement. Mm -hmm. I think you, the occasion will bring mm -hmm. a certain level of motivation out in you that you don't have but then i guess it's that it's that tipping point you know like it's that hormetic curve in toxicology where it's like or, or when you're dealing with stress where it's the the perfect amount of stress from the occasion finds that perfect amount of performance but then that's based on your skill set experience but yeah the way he said it is a great way to highlight the fact that don't believe you're going to walk into a difficult situation and find something that you've never had. You're going to find something that, that you've got deep down in there if you've trained that thing. But I mean, those dudes are going to life and death, men and women, they're going to life and death situations. So it's a lot better to highlight that you're most likely going to freeze up mm. and succumb to the situation unless you're highly trained. So you're going to find, you're going to reduce down to what your training is. I think that's where that statement is. Mm -hmm is going to, but I do believe there's an aspect of the occasion can pull something out of you. That's, that's super, that might be hidden, you know, like mm -hmm. I always uh, think about this and I've heard someone use the analogy. It's kind of like if, if you had a fear of heights or kind of everyone has a fear of heights when you're standing on the top of like a, a skyscraper building, right. And if there was a narrow plank of wood going from one skyscraper to the other and, and someone was like, you, you got to walk across that skyscraper narrow plank in the wind it's wobbly and all that so you're just like hell no i'm not doing that and and you fuck most likely fall but it's like if your baby was at the other end of that plank of wood on the other building and it was going to die if you didn't get there it's like okay you're going to find a level of courage that you've got you won't find a, a level of skills that you don't have but you'll find a level of courage that you that you might not know that you have you know if the if the if the the meaning or the thing that you're chasing is valuable enough, I think you can find, access a certain amount of courage. But yeah, you won't access skills that you don't have. You'll most likely go. The skill will deteriorate on the fear. But mm -hmm. yeah. there was this quote I heard the other day, going back to the Navy SEAL stuff, and it was and it's pretty much adopting that mindset. And it was, I'd rather be the warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war zone. <laughs> I thought that was just kind of applicable. Yeah. <laughs> you exactly. don't want to be in obviously what they're doing, but yeah. you'd even... rather be overskilled, right? Like you'd yeah. rather have, be overskilled with, with, with techniques and things to fall back on if, if something yeah. changes in the environment. Yeah. It's very metaphorical. Obviously it's figurative. Um, now speaking of courage, uh, Mark, what you were just saying before, there was obviously your like at a <clears throat> level of person that can put himself through that, but you probably thrive going off what flow going off what Andre said before. But I know with, I, I don't know personally, but if you're happy to obviously open up to it um, with your massive wipeout, 
you uh, read about it, you had done probably a lot more damage to any other crucial ligament than what anyone else would have gone through. Um, and you were going through rehabilitation for quite some time. Obviously, your physical um, physical health was probably at one of its lowest. Like, how, how was your mental health, like, how was that journey? Like, that would have been pretty low for yourself and the courage that would have taken to go to, obviously, to be where you're at now. Yeah, man. I mean, my mental health was as low as my physical health, basically. It's kind of, and, and I just... Um, I don't think you can separate the two ever. And if you're ever trying to separate the two, you're kind of, you're pushing shit uphill. If you're just going to try and only fix mental health with, with sort of cognitive based approaches without fixing the, the physiology of your body. So when I got injured, I dislocated my knee, tore every ligament and tendon, tore the artery in my leg. Um, they fixed all of that, but the part they couldn't fix was the nerves, which control my foot. So it's like, permanent nerve damage where I can't lift my foot up and down anymore, which originally like they told me you surf things done, your career's over. Um, you know, you'd be lucky to walk properly again. So that was bad enough news, but I think the thing that got me worse than that was that I was laid up in a hospital bed, like in hospital actually for like six weeks. But then for almost a year at home in a hospital bed and, and just not moving, you know, not do it like my, my, my system, like my body is used to functioning at this certain level of exercise and adrenaline and excitement. And that's what it's kind of adapted to. But then all of a sudden I'm just laying in bed, watching TV, like not doing anything like, and then I just think you can't escape that no matter of the cognitive techniques to stay positive, to do all these things, you won't escape the fact that it's going to change radically and that's going to create a, a certain amount of depression. But I was the, the thing that helped me with that the most is that I knew that, you know, I, I, I've mm. done lots of research into, into mental health, into performance. And, and I knew that was coming. And I think that helped me a lot because it was like, I know this depression and, and the way I'm perceiving the world is a huge result of the fact that I'm just laid up and I can't, mm. I know that. And I know that once I get back moving eventually that that will pass, you know, and, mm. and just knowing that things will pass and they're not forever is kind of, I think that's like a sort of basis level for you to be able to deal with, with elements of depression. And when I say depression, it's like, that was depression for me. It was completely situational. It's not just blanket stating people's depression as that yeah. it, it's only situational because man, sci the science is up in the air. They don't know for sure all the different variations of things that cause depression. Like, and yeah. some people life and situations are perfect, you know, by, by almost every measure, but they've still got it. And it could be a viral problem. It could be, like an immune system probably could be an autoimmune probably it could be anything that's causing it. So I don't want to say like, I'm not saying my depression was that, but it was like, I was in this psychological state mm. based on my situation. I knew it had a lot to do with the fact that I couldn't move. I couldn't exercise. I couldn't, you know, and that helped knowing that once I started moving again, it would, it would, the, the psychology would come back. Probably because your, your art was taken away from you as well. Like you couldn't do the thing that you love doing and that you felt invincible and not invincible but you felt like your truest self in when that's taken away from you identity yeah, is on the of, exa yeah 
identity, like it's your sense of self is built wrapped up in the thing. Mm. And a big part of like what my sense of self and the way people serve it was surfing big waves. And, and that for me, I thought for a good year was finished. Like I thought surfing was finished, you know, so that, that was tough. I mean, there, there were a lot of little things that I did to just, that kind of helped me just get through those and, and made a tiny bits of difference. One, one thing that actually made quite a big impact on me that I kind of went back and drew upon the whole time I was going through the rehab and stuff was I just out of the blue for, for whatever reason, met a young guy in hospital who was a quadriplegic that had broken his neck like uh, a couple of months before I got injured just on a snowboarding trip. First trip of an around the world holiday is like 19 years old, left school, was going to travel around the world. First trip broke his neck, uh, quadriplegic rest of your life. And, and I, when I was in a bad place in hospital about a month in, I met him and he came up to my room and it's just like, man, from the time, from the time I shook his hand and just like, it's like forced upon you this whole new perspective of what you're dealing with. It's like, I, I thought I, I had the worst situation ever and I was angry, frustrated, full of pity. And, mm -hmm. but then all of a sudden I see how much worse it can be. Mm. You know? And he was dealing with it so much better than I was. So it was like a double whammy. It's like, Fuck, man, it could be so much worse if I hit the reef, which was what I did to injure myself. If I hit the reef any other way, I could be dealing with that. And it was just like, it's, it's kind of forced, forced shift in perspective to a, a like grateful perspective. Like I just felt a bit luckier and that didn't just sustain the whole time, but I, I could always like kind of go back and find that, that perspective every now and then and kind of just cultivate that emotion of gratitude and just feel it every once in a while. And that made a big difference. Like you just feel that little bit of lucky, grateful emotion. And, mm. and I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen, there's just so much science to what that emotional state of gratitude does for your physical health. Like so many studies have shown how beneficial it is. So if I could just try and access that, even if it was just one moment in a day for a couple of minutes, that, that made a big difference to me. And I'm just always so thankful to, to meet that young guy, you know, mm -hmm. what's that time in hospital? It's a, I think it's a really interesting point you just brought up as well around, um, you know, I'm, I'm immersed in the kind of addiction and recovery community and I am um, involved in endurance sport myself and I come across many of people, high functioning, high performance athletes that, have used endurance running as a means to escape their psychological, emotional, and what I would call quite openly spiritual issues. And I think that I, when I work with people that are getting sober and as, as was kind of articulated to me, is that you have to be very careful to not use endurance sport, excessive exercise to run away from your psychological and emotional, spiritual problems, because one day you may not have access to that movement. And so the, 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 I, I suppose what, what, what I, I feel is important is that uh, whilst individuals, especially in the, in the, um, in the, in the form of addiction, um, are using sport, which is super important to move your body, um, they're also focusing on the other elements as well and i would ask you 
through that process of being bedridden and coming face to face now with demons that you used to probably be able to exercise through movement and yeah. through surfing, how did you evolve through that? Because I'm sure you had to face yourself sitting in that bed a little bit more than maybe you had to before when you could just surf and, and you get that hit from the surf, right? You no longer have access. Yeah. So how, how did that peace transform you? I, I, I find it really interesting. And, and I don't know, I mean, I guess questions for you being immersed in the world of addiction. Because mm -hmm. I, I just, in, in my understanding and what I've looked into, and, and just the way, I don't know, from my personal experience, and I could be way off, but I just see almost everything we do and like whether it's an action you're taking towards your career or, or whether it's the food you eat or whether it's the sport you do, like it just seems like it all functions on a sort of an, an addiction system within your brain. It's like it's it's the same sort of like whether it's, the dopaminergic system, the serotoninergic system, like, like it's still like, look for goal, move towards goal, get closer to goal, receive positive emotion, you know? And, and to me, it was just, I, I just see it when I'm trying to deal with myself is like, what, what are things that I can be addicted to that are sustainable for, for long periods of time versus what, what are the ones that I have in my life that are catabolic, that, that, will steal my life from me you know like it's like you can be addicted to vices and and they might be drugs alcohol junk food maybe mm. consuming too much content netflix like they're mm. all your vices right like like they're, they're things that you can't sustain if you give in to doing them all the time like mm. life collapses but i don't it doesn't seem to me like the mechanism that makes you love those things is really any different mm -hmm. than the mechanism that makes you love everything else in your life. It's just that those other things in your life might be more sustainable long periods. So when I, when I lost surfing and lost all those different things that were producing the, the positive ho uh, hormones or neurotoxins mm -hmm. or whatever, um, I just tried to find mm. other things that would give them to give it to me that would be sustainable and beneficial long-term, you know, like, so, mm. and, to me, it was just setting goals, like whether like having long-term ones and then coming in the, and, and short-term day-to-day things that would mm. sort of take me towards those long-term mm. ones, whether I got to the, like, whether the long-term ones were big, big picture ones and, and, and even like succeeding to get to them wasn't so important, but it was more just like doing the little things each day that I thought were going, taking me towards those long-term stretching, goals. stretching. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, but those little things each day would just give me just enough. Like, mm. like I would, um, I just picked up like different little skills that I like to progress at that, that highlights some level of progression. Like, like I've played guitar, play the mm -hmm. piano, like just like music hobbies, like I'm shit at both of them, but <laughs> it was enough to like, just to give me like, you know, you have moments of progression in whatever skill you're doing. It's like, fuck, that's it. That's, that's good. You know, that's exciting. Mm. And, and then it was um, uh, like with speaking, like that was yeah. my career. And, and if I were never going to surf again, speaking is going to be my career. So it was just, that was another way for me to sort of 
put a build a skill, put it to the mm -hmm. test and, and highlight some progression in that area mm -hmm. of my life. I also did a lot of things to block out um, focusing on the mm. things I'm missing out on. Mm. I think that's a, a big part. Mm. It's like I lived right on the beach, like in a little unit where I could see the surf, which was difficult, you know, like, and I, I would just have to have the blinds shut if the waves were good, you know, and, and I just didn't want to see good waves. I changed my, my social media feed to like, I don't want to see all the waves. And yeah. Right. Going yeah. On. I, I changed that whole feed to a feed that's something appropriate for what I can be doing. I stopped, you know, like comparing what I would have been doing in surfing and everything I'm missing out on to just focus on these small things that I can achieve and see progression in. And it, like, it's not, like I said, it worked a hundred percent of the time, but it makes enough of a difference. Well, I, I think that's brilliant. I mean, I, I was talking to some guy um, the other day about, uh, we have a mentee mentor relationship and he said to me, he goes, you know, he told me, yeah, I had a real shit sleep last night and, you know, was going into, depression around where I should be with my life, blah, 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 blah. And I said to him, I said, I said, mate, were you looking at Instagram before you went to sleep? Yeah. And he was like, yeah. And, and it's to that point you just made. And that's a very good point. Like it, it, if you're now on a trajectory and you're trying to limit your focus in a way that enables you to be positive, you need to set the stage and that's what yes. you did. You purposely set the stage by removing things that would send you backwards. And I think that's very clever. That's, that's awesome very clever. I'm going to steal that off. You. <laughs> like set the stage. Like that's such an, a great way to, mm. to explain it. It's like set the stage of where, of, of like what, where you want your life to exist within. Like, where is that stage? What it's is very intentional, stage? right? Yeah. Forget about the rest yeah. of it. You know? Yeah. That that's yeah. that's such a fucking important point, man. Like I that's where people get confused. And I think athletes get it right because yeah. athletes understand the need to narrow your focus. Yes. With shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. The, the only part that then I would be with, with athletes where it becomes difficult, and you guys will probably experience this with even with the, with the endurance stuff that you do is the notion is like the athletics career or the endurance endeavor that you go on. Or for me, like something to do with surfing is like that you, you have these short-term goals within the career that you get to, do you know what I mean? And, and which is awesome. You get to the goal, but you got to understand what that does to your psychology. It's like, as soon as you achieve that goal, yeah. the next day that you wake up, you don't just wake up, happy about achieving no. the goal. You, you, you can slip into depression because then the goal's gone. The goal is the thing that makes you happy. It's not like, it's like the consumatory reward of, of achieving it is so short lived. Like it's finished in the blink of an eye. And I think a, a lot of athletes um, struggle with that because like the amount of effort and time that they put into achieving what they do in their careers is mind blowing. You know, like, you watch that Michael Jordan documentary. Oh, dude, I've been talking about it. Oh, dude, everyone at work like put, in the, oh, yeah, everyone in the business is that yeah. much time and effort into your craft being yeah. the best at something and your craft and furthering your skills. Like, you want to be wary that once that's gone, 
you're going to have to find something else to put, you know, and he's just moved into business, which is kind of why he's so successful in that area. But mm. I don't know that you got to understand, I think that part of, of the human psychology mm. of achieving the goal is not necessarily the goal in itself. It's like mm. just constant progression. I feel like is, and then resetting goals the instant you achieve them is kind of, is uh, very important, you know. And very, very similar to MJ, um, even with yourself, Mark, like he's transitioned and you have as well. And you've, ri- you've ridden literal waves of fear, but you're, you're in a different wave of fear, different realm of public speaking. You're talking about before how you're an introvert um, and how there's a massive fear of judgment of public speaking. I've done a ton of it myself, but for you, for you how was like learning about resilience and mindset techniques and working in with science and data to obviously translate that to people that can help them in everyday settings from what you've learned. How, like, I guess, to tell us about that. Like I'm, I'm super curious myself on the resilience aspects. I think, I think the reason that when I do speak on stage that, um, the the feedback I get's good is because I do relate to an audience really closely. Like I'm on their level as far as a lot of people in that room might be introverted, might have that fear of public speaking. And, and like, I'm sharing that, that like, it's terrifying for me. That's the most stressful thing I've been through was to transition and learn how to get up on a stage and speak in front of people. Yeah. Um, well. Like that part was harder for me than, than surfing. Like I, I have less fear of the physical dangers than I do of those socialized fears and fear of judgment and fear, you know, like to me, that's more heightened or it's more heightened in me than, than the other aspect. And so I think that's where I, I like can relate to people. And then I, I'm just explaining what I learned from surfing big waves, like all the different performance techniques, the stress management techniques and how I then took them and applied them to when I had to make a career of public speaking. It's just like, I've been putting them to the test and they don't all work. Like then some parts are different, but the majority of it is still the same, you know, like it's, it's just performance, how to deal with, with life and performing within life and what goes into making that possible is like the, I think the framework is still the same no matter what the performance is you know? mm. and no matter what the fear is because the fears are just your systems either is either relaxed or it's stressed it's like your, your your nervous system is either relaxed or stressed regardless of what it is that is stressing you you just the feelings are pretty similar all the ridiculously complex mechanisms that are going on in your body are, are pretty similar to, regarding depending on what the thing is that's stressing you. Mm. So it's, it's the techniques to manage it uh, are pretty similar. And I mean, you guys know so many of those. And like, we can, I think to me, the foundational one is kind of what we've been talking about. The fun, foundational one to, to being resilient and managing stress is having the goal, like the long-term goals that break down into the small actionable daily goal. And then giving your brain the ability to see some progression towards those long-term goals that are important to you. Cause I think when you notice some progression like that, that creates a feedback loop within your brain. That's like, I do this one little thing. Oh, it's taken me to that important place that I want to go. 
And, and when you see that little bit of progression, your, your brain gets the positive emotion. And then that positive emotion is what is making you resilient to take the next little step and take the next little step. But if you don't have the goals, like the, the specific goals, then you won't be able to perceive the progression. You won't be able to see it like because you're uncertain of where you're going and then your brain's just swimming in like a sea of uncertainty. Like you don't, it's, it's like, I, I was thinking about this analogy the other day. If you were out in the ocean, right? The middle of the ocean and you didn't have a compass and you didn't know which way's land. And it's like, if you went, if you go in one direction, you're going to get to land and you're going to be fine. If you go in any other direction, you might never hit land, right? So if you don't know where land is, you don't have a goal and know where you're moving to. It's like if you're paddling a boat out in the ocean, every paddle you're going in an uncertain way is that much more stressful, you know, because you're just mm. constantly uncertain and the paddle is stressful and it's taxing you more. But if you know, like, I'm definitely going in the right spot and I'm going to, mm. I'm moving towards that goal. It's like every paddle you take is, is almost in lifting mm. you know, rather than taxing, you know? So it's, I think the, the base thing is knowing where you're going and, and it, it's not just career. It's like, what, what do you want your relationships to look like when you're 60 years old? You know, like what, what's your marriage going to be like? How many kids are you going to have? Like what's life look like there? What's your health going to look like? What's, what's your, uh, your finances going to look like? What's your career look like in when you're 60, you know, and then work back from there. What I'm hearing is it's, it's being, it's accepting uncertainty. That's what I'm hearing. And that's powerful. Yeah, it's, it's accepting, accepting uncertainty by creating, it's, it's creating clarity within the uncertainty. Yeah. You, you like know where your world is uncertain, yeah, yeah. But, but like you're saying, you're setting the stage, you know, so where the flag on the hill not is overwhelmed with yeah. too much. Uncertainty. Yeah. 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 The world is too <laughs> uncertain if you're trying to focus on everything. Yeah. But if you narrow the focus, into like what you're moving towards and then accept that all the other things around you are uncertain, but mm -hmm. this is where you're moving. Mm. I, I just think that's the base one. And then it's like, there's heaps of different small tips and techniques and like what the psychologists will help you with, like the cognitive behavioral therapies and the, and the meditation and the mindfulness practice and all these things that you can plug in onto the fact that you've got a plan, you know, and those little things are like, I don't know, if you're paddling that boat to go back to the end, you're paddling that boat towards land, right? You're paddling along the way, like you might have a little hole in your boat, right? And, and taking on a bit of water, but then you can just plug that with those little techniques, you know, and that might be gratitude practice. It might be meditation. It, it, it might be to do with like, diet and and exercise like they're all those little things that you plug the holes that that will event you know like it's tough to get there so you're going to get some damage along the way and they yeah. plug it but you, you you've got no boat to plug the hole you know like you've got no boat if you don't have the direction you know like you can't all those techniques don't work i don't reckon if you don't have the direction first like it's like mm -hmm. i can meditate all i would need to meditate for 15 hours a day to, to quell the uncertainty of not knowing what I'm doing in life. Like you would have to sit in a state of meditation your entire life, but what's that going to do? It's like, you're not going to be living. You're going to deteriorate, you know? Like, so it's, it's kind of, if you want to play in the game of life, 
you can use those things, but you just need to know what, what the rules of the game are and where you're going. You know? it's, it's, so you can equivalent it, you can equivalent it to business, right? So, you know, good businesses have a strategy and everything is else is tactical. And then once you understand the strategy, what the, the actual fundamental objectives are, then everything else is fluid and you can shift and change the tactics. And that's where the uncertainty is okay to be. But most people, their problem is they don't know what the flag on the hill is. And so if you don't know the outcome or the strategy, then for sure you're not going to be comfortable with the uncertainty and the tactics because you don't know where the hell you're going. And I think yeah, it's and, there's no, and then there's no, sorry, there's no initial action or movement without the strategy. Like, but then it's like, that's, that's the other part to highlight that I don't want it for it to be lost. It's like, just cause you set those long-term goals, they create the movement, the positive movement towards them. But as you move towards them, you might see different opportunities mm. because you're growing and turning into something different. Mm. The world's looking different to you. So it's not like, yeah. You have to be pig headed and only yeah. chase that thing. You yeah. can switch it to something else. But as long as there is an aspect of a goal that gets you moving in the right direction to avoid too much uncertainty. You know, yeah. like and procrastination, which is yeah, bad, right? Like, oh, like, yeah, analysis paralysis. Decision fatigue. Like, decision fatigue is just because you don't clearly know what you need to do so there's too many options like you can't i've got that many options of things you can do but you need to narrow it otherwise you're just freaking out all the time the um i don't know if you've ever read if both of you've read the book um the seven habits of highly effective people by stephen covey oh, yeah that, i know of it i read it quite a long time ago i think i just read the summary of it so. yeah and it talks about that i think the second habit or the third habit was um the have the end goal in mind and that way we can reverse engineer and obviously be proactive, which is sharpen the sword. But it's true. It's like knowing that does start to, you can reverse engineer. So even if you do come across something and you're going along there, you can kind of tweak it. So you back in and look, I, I, not, I don't think anyone's perfect at it. I'm definitely not perfect at it, but having that does um, allow even myself to be back on track. Um, I, yeah, think, but, I think I'm like, it's the, the, the the pushback you get from it is that it's such a cliche notion that the value of setting goals, it's like everyone's heard that before. And, yeah. and that's the pushback that I get. I'm like, look, if I've got this small amount of time with your audience and I want to leave something that's valuable, yeah. I would like to emphasize that. But, and then people are like, what are you going to talk about goal setting? Oh, we've heard it all before. You know, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, but, if you can put it in a different way yeah. and, and, and it makes people take that action. I, I think that's more beneficial than most other things. Yeah. No, it's bang on. And, and, and it's your, your perspective on it too. Like just because someone's talking about goal setting, it's, it's going to be completely different from your side. But yeah. um, what I was going to do, Mark, is I think we'll, what we'll do, we'll probably be close to wrapping this up, but mate, um, just want to obviously acknowledge you from the next gen movement. Like, Man, having you on is an absolute pleasure. Obviously, your insight was what you've done, not only in the sport, but how you bring that to, obviously, with the science and the resilience techniques and the mindset. Man, it definitely means a lot to me. Um, and just hearing from your, like, how humble you are about the whole situation as well. And just having a, a better understanding on, like, what goes on for you personally as well during times like this. So, man, thank you so much for being a guest on today.
Um, no worries. Thanks for having me. I enjoy. It was a great time. Yeah. I feel like you can feel. Yeah. I don't know. There's some people on that. You're thinking about the same things. You're exploring the same topics. And when you get together and you can chat, you can like piece out some some new stuff that you find out. It's really philosophical. Setting the stage. Yes. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I get I get kind of I I dive down too much into the philosophical and that 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 below framework. And sometimes people just want to people just want to hear a surf story. (laughs) No, no, we're definitely under the bonnet, under the hood, as I call it. So uh, because we're ultimately what we're trying to do, as I say to Topo all the time with our guests, is we're trying to get to the mechanisms in the form of the secret sauce that make you tick. We want to know what's going on between the ears in your heart, in your soul, that then can be uh, replicated because we're always copying each other. That's what the, the, the greatest people do. We take it. Like for me, for instance, that Michael Jordan documentary has now become somewhat of a Bible. Uh, when do you get the insight into someone's mindset that he's now the benchmark? If I am looking at my work ethic in my business, we had a, we had a actually to diverge this chat. We had a, a internal call with Carl Jennings, who's, uh, he, he, he's doing some stuff with our team and business. He's, he's head of performance, uh, some rugby union and league. And he was asking me about and asking some of our team members, who do we benchmark ourselves across in the business world? And I told him, I, I benchmark, I benchmark my work ethic, my behaviors and my attitude now against Michael Jordan. I don't want to benchmark myself about against anyone in the industry or anyone in the business world, because I don't think the best operators are necessarily in the business world. And you get insight by having these conversations, getting visibility into people's frameworks. That's why it's great that we went to this level with you because we wanted to understand your framework. Yeah. I think it's like that Michael Jordan Docker was, it was such an interesting thing to highlight the dedication Mm. in relation to the reward, but it's not necessarily like for everyone. Like, and for me, Mm. I, I couldn't put in, what he puts in and make the sacrifices that he made, you know, like I just wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. I don't, I don't, the rewards, like I I think there's a fine line to what is the right thing, but it's the perfect benchmark. Agreed. To set for yourself to be like, I'm not succeeding at those things I do. Well, how much work am I actually doing Mm. in comparison to someone? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe you can just like, Maybe there's an extra couple of hours you can find to make, to make a difference, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, hey, uh, so Mark, what's, um, where can, where can like our audience find you, mate? Like wh- what is anything that you want to plug or any, like, where can I find you on socials? Oh man, if people want to watch some surf stuff, I, I post a, a, most of the stuff I do in the ocean on to Instagram. I'm at Mark Matthews surf Matthews with one T and, um, and then anything to do with taking, what I've learned from business in uh, what I've learned from surfing into the business world and to do with public speaking or workshops on resilience, uh, just find me on LinkedIn um, and, uh, and reach out and we can have a chat. Um, That's about it. We Mark ask every guest this question and I'm going to ask you the question that we ask everyone. So if you could impart, one piece of game-changing advice to the next generation, what would that piece of advice be? Um, I think if, if I'm talking, if, if I'm talking to young, younger kids, like that sort of 18 to early twenties, if I was talking to myself at that age, I'd be like, understand, like 
this is what I was thinking about this the other day. I'm sorry, this might go a little long. No, it's okay. It's like, think of the most important person in your life right now. Like, who do you love more than anything that you would do anything for, right? When you're a teenager, like who's so important for you that you'd go the extra mile and make the extra sacrifices to? And if you think of that person, what you need to know is there's going to be someone else in your life, your future self, your kid is going to be way more important than that person. That's, that's so important to you. So what you got to do is you've got to start sacrificing and working hard now when you're young, because it's going to make the difference for the most important person in your life. Who's going to be your child. You know, that's the person that you need to sacrifice now for. And, and just to give clarity that what you're doing now affects their life. So just know that what you're doing now is affecting the life of the most important person that's ever going to be to you. You know, it's, it's a hard concept to understand when you're young. And I don't even know if I would have picked it up when I was young, if someone told me that, but, um, because your brain just doesn't function like that when you're 18, but just know that nothing is really that important compared to when you have that first kid and what mm. you're doing is affecting that kid's life, you know, in a mm. positive or negative way. Yeah. Mate, it, I, 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 and Toph knows how I am with, uh, I've just had another baby and, uh, but he knows how I am with my son and pretty active on uh, social media with my son. And, and, you know, there's, when I'm, especially in long distance runs, uh, endurance runs, when I'm delirious and broken down, um, nothing gets me through like thinking about how those acts of sharpening my own sword, whether it be through physical, mental, spiritual activity, how that's going to impact my son. That is the biggest driver for keeping me at my peak because I and want if you could gra- if you could grasp that at a young at, age, at a young age well, it would be good and maybe it's just you think about the person who's who's so important to you now which might be your mom or your yeah, dad or yeah. a grandparent or a friend you know yeah but just know that this person's going to be yeah more important than that even so I think I mean I grew up a lot with a lot of people and I made a lot of mistakes when I was young so it was like. I got away with it, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was lucky, but yeah. looking back, I'm like, man, like those things could have really negatively impacted this thing that I love yeah. more than anything else. You know? Yeah. It, it's, it's interesting. And, and look again, really uh, thank you for your time and you're, you're very articulate and it's funny. I was thinking about it earlier. <laughs> I, I grew up in California and, and California, not too far from Santa Cruz, a stereotypical surfer was like, a dude that rocked up to the beach, smoked some cones. And, and it's really interesting to meet like that whole, and this is probably another conversation. Like, how do you go from just chilling out surfing to this high performance? Cause I'm sure there's, you know, like there's this oh, stereotype sure. with surfers that they kind of just, Hey, how you go and early dude. And, then, and that's and, who I am. But that's who I would still be, but it was just, like you said, I was learning a new skill set of being yeah. able to speak and introverted like, it's not, you don't get much practice in being able to speak and become articulate because when you're introverted, you don't speak much. So it's kind of like, 
had to force myself to do. Yeah, but I would argue that you had these insights and you would have had a high performance mindset while you were surfing. You pulled these insights through maybe and or put language to them later. Exactly, yeah. But um, I, I definitely think that you are, you've, you've, you've thought about your mechanisms and you, you have a very good understanding and awareness around what makes you tick and how to then share that template to the world. And that is very, very important. And I think you're going to do a lot of good in the community. The great thing is that, that language comprehension and articulation is thankfully one of the pieces of the IQ skill set. If you take an IQ test, it's one of the only pieces that you can get better at, you know, that's there not you go. Just completely genetically determined. You can actually get better at it. And it's taken me 10 years to be able to string a sentence together. Thanks guys. Thanks man. Take care, brother.